We are on lesson number 10 of the Winter Quarter, and the title of the lesson is The God Who Stands With His Own. We'll cover Psalms 107 to 118, and we will focus in on Psalm 110, which is a very cool psalm, and Psalm 118, which is another cool psalm. So there are two very cool psalms. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for the psalms. We thank you for these uh, messianic psalms we're going to be looking at today. And we look forward with bated breath to when the Jesus comes to get us and we meet together with him in the air. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so they skip a few psalms in the beginning. And uh, Psalm 107, 5 and 6, says they were hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. So doesn't the Lord do that for us when we're distressed, when things don't go right? This talks about when they were hungry and thirsty, so they needed something to eat. And the Lord listens when we cry out to him. In Psalm 108, 12, O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. So when we have an adversary, we need to go to the Lord first. He may use man to help us, but he's the one. Who does it? Because deliverance by man is in vain. Right? Then Psalm 109 and verse 8 is a... Uh, Peter applied this verse to Judas Iscariot. It says, let his days be few, let another take his office. Then verses 7, this is an imprecatory psalm. Then verses 17 and 18, he also loved cursing, so it came to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, and it entered into his body like water and like oil into his bones. That sounds creepy. No, I'm just going, that was Psalm 109, verses 17 and 18. I'm going through the ones that the quarterly skipped. So we don't want to be like Judas, no, who was uh, inhabited by the devil. So section A is a victorious king, and that is Psalm 110, verses 1 through 3. It's a psalm of David, and the New Testament uses this, speaks of this psalm quite a bit. Says the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. So here it says, The Lord says to my Lord, what are we seeing there? 
the Lord says to my Lord. Seems to be more than one there, doesn't it? So yeah, it's the Father speaking to the Son. The Lord says to my Lord. And Jesus used that and said, how can this be David's son when it says this of the Messiah? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So yeah, two members of the Trinity, the Lord is the Father, says to David's Lord, who's the Messiah, or the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus is at God's right hand now, serving as high priest of the church. That's when he's saying this, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So, and we see that in Hebrews chapter 8, of where Jesus is right now. It says, now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's where Jesus is. He's at the Lord's right hand right at this minute. Then verse 2, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So we know that the Messiah is going to be, he's not now, but he is going to be a king. With a scepter, that's a, a symbol of a ruling authority. Um, there are some people who say we're in the kingdom now. But it's clear, if you look around, that Jesus is not ruling. You know, because he can't rule this badly. <laughs> I mean, he won't rule this badly. It's a, you know, it's a disaster what's going on now. So the enemies of Jesus will be defeated and executed before he begins his reign. And how do we know that they will be executed? We know that from Matthew 25 and verse 41. This is the sheep and the goat judgment before the start of the millennium. It says, Then they, they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, these Jews, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's how we know they're executed. Go into eternal punishment. And Jesus will have enemies in the millennial kingdom. You know, verse 2 says, rule in the midst of your enemies. So we're thinking, well, gee, should Jesus have enemies? Uh, he does have en enemies in the millennial kingdom that, you know, they will be quiet because Jesus' power is so overwhelming. But there will be enemies, and they will, they will be the ones who are born during the millennium who never believe in him. And uh, so... We have an example of those in Zechariah 14. 
And this is again during the Millennial Kingdom. The world will be required to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And some will not do it. They say, no, no way. <laughs> These are Jesus' enemies. So Zechariah 14, verse 17 says, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So, Jesus will be ruling. I think most people will believe in him, but there will be many, many who don't. And so he will be ruling in the midst of his enemies. Then in verse 3, many people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. You know, that makes sense. Many will volunteer to serve in the Messiah's kingdom. I will volunteer. <laughs> you know, I'm sure all of us will volunteer. We'll all be resurrected. And uh, we'll have more energy <laughs> than we do now. <laughs> yeah, we won't need a cane or glasses. Yeah, or any of those things. So anyway, the, yeah, the resurrected will be serving. And as we know, Jesus himself is now resurrected. And, I mean, that's the gospel, really, right? The third part of the gospel, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to our sins, according to the scriptures, excuse me. So, and that is pro was prophesied in Psalm 16.10 which I want to read. I want to read for posterity's sake here. Psalm 16:10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So Jesus did not undergo decay. He was dead for three days and resurrected, was raised. Okay, so that is the victorious king. So section B is a victorious priest. And that's verses 4 through 6. Is everybody with us? So verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So that sounds like, it says priest, but then it sounds later in that passage like uh, the king, the king's activities. The shattering kings in the day of his wrath. So Jesus is a king who is also a priest. He is a king priest. 
which is um, Melchizedek was that. You know, Melchizedek in Genesis 14, he was the king of Salem, and he was also the priest of God Most High. In the nation of Israel, the Lord assiduously kept those roles separated. Uh, it wasn't okay for the kings to try to do priestly things, right? And uh, so two kings who tried to do that were Saul, and that was in First uh, Samuel 13. Saul did it because he was impatient. So it says, now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Samuel told him to wait for him there, and he would offer a sacrifice. And he wasn't, he didn't appear, and so the people were starting to leave Saul, and so he got impatient, and he did it anyway. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering himself. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. So that was the punishment for Saul taking on priestly roles, taking on a priestly role. Uh, the kingdom was taken away from him. And another king who did that was Uzziah, or also known as Azariah. And that was in Second Chronicles 26. In verse 16, but when he, that's Uzziah, became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That's a priestly role. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged, and while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And we know that Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And so he also was punished severely for trying to mix the role of king and priest. But for the Messiah, it is prophesied that he will be both king and priest. So we have this here, 
you know, the first part of the psalm says that you will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, that's the king, and then says the Lord has sworn that you are a priest forever. That's also prophesied in Zechariah. Um, Zechariah 14 again. No, I'm sorry. Ze Zechariah chapter 6. Yeah, and verse 11 says, Take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, or he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. So the Messiah will build the millennial temple. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. So there he's king. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be, will be between the two offices. So the Messiah is prophesied to be both king and priest, although the kings of Judah were not allowed to do that, or they were punished for it. Yeah, and that's why we want to, it says to examine yourself, and that's to examine yourself if you're in fellowship. You know, is there any sin that you need to confess before you take the Lord's Supper? <laughs> okay. Well, you have First John 1, 9, right? That the Lord will forgive you when you confess your sin. <laughs> yeah, the Lord will forgive it will forgive you. That's funny. So, um, so yeah, the mixing the roles is a, a big deal, and it's uh, for one person really to mix the roles, and that's for the Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it seems to me like the penalty against Saul was greater than that against David, even though. The sin doesn't seem as bad, humanly speaking. Yeah, and then killed her husband, <laughs> and killed her husband, and lied about the whole thing. Yeah, that, that that to me seems like a worse sin than taking the role of priest. But you know, the Lord thinks different than we do. So anyway, it was quite a while. That was toward the beginning of his reign that he did that. And, yeah, what killed Saul was going to the witch of Endor. It was the next morning that he died, after he went and consulted the witch. Yeah, Lord didn't like that. So verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the days, in the day of his wrath. And that happens. When does that happen? When does Jesus shatter kings in the day of his wrath? It's when he comes back, right? Yeah, his second advent. When Jesus comes, he will come in violent judgment. That's how he comes. And this is Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven opened. Behold, the white horse, and he who sat on it is called the faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. 
and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Because the reason his robe is dipped in blood is because he comes in violent judgment with people splattering, you know, and their blood going all over. Psalm 110 is a prophecy of the coming Messiah who is a king-priest. And we look forward to it with great anticipation. Anything more about Psalm 110? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Psalm 111. And so the quarterly doesn't cover Psalm 11, Psalm 111 or any of the Psalms between here and Psalm 118. So that's a good verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Another good verse is Psalm 111, 7. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. So God's word is a sure thing. If you want to know what to do, read God's word. Psalm 112, 6 and 7 says, For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So if you don't want to be afraid or be shaken, then trust in the Lord. And, and you know, with a heart to, ready to obey what he tells you. Psalm 113 Verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And that's why we're here today, right? That's one of the reasons we're here. Psalm 114, 7 and 8. And by the way, these are uh, the Hillel Psalms, the praise Psalms that are, that are recited at Passover. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Are, they're called Hallel songs, which means praise. So 114, 7 and 8, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. So the Lord can support us by miraculous means, if he wants. And there is historical confirmation of that. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. So that's kind of our purpose statement, isn't it, for humans? We're, our purpose is to glorify the Lord. So we want to defer glory to the Lord not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Um, if we try to hang on to glory, we get judged. So we don't want to do that. <laughs> because that, we don't want to do that. Um, you know, it reminds me of King Herod when he was giving an oration and they were yelling and they thought it was a wonderful oration and they say the words of a God and not a man, you know. 
And he just took it and said, thanks, man. <laughs> and the Lord struck him and he was eaten by worms. Yeah, I don't know how fast that that was, but that sounds gross, doesn't it? But that was because he did not... He did not do that. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. He didn't say, you know, praise the Lord or anything like that. He just said, yeah. Yeah, you can praise me as a God. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, see, it doesn't, it doesn't work out well when you do that. Yeah, so this is Acts thirteen twenty one. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And who are them? They're the people of Tyre and Sidon. The people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, we, we want to... Uh, glorify the Lord. That's We want to defer any glory to the Lord. So Psalm 116.15 says, now this, this is a very lovely verse to remember at the time that someone passes away. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So that's, that's nice. You know, the Lord... Um, it's, he's kind of honoring those who love him, who who die. And then Psalm 117 is like the shortest psalm ever. Two verses. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. So Psalm 117 is encouraging the whole world to praise the Lord. Okay, so those are the flyover psalms. Now we're to Psalm 118. And section C says, thanks to the Lord. Anybody want to read verses 1 through 21? Thank you. And that is it for the moment. Yeah. So verses 1 through 4 suggest kind of an antiphonal response reading. You know, like sometimes in the sanctuary, we'll, the, the pastor will say a phrase and we will say a phrase in response, things like that. That's what it sounds like. You know, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the... House of Aaron say, his loving kindness is er everlasting. So you can hear, you know, the leader saying, oh, let Israel say, and they would respond, his loving kindness is everlasting. And uh, so it's a worship psalm for public worship. And this is the end of the Hillel Psalms. So it's praising the everlasting loving kindness of God. His loving kind, that's the Hebrew word hesed, um, which means covenant faithfulness, um, you know, loving kindness, undying love, etc. 
This is one of God's attributes. God is love. In verses 5 through 9, um, it talks about the lack of need to fear when you have the Lord. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and sent me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's a very important question. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. So if it's everyone is against you except the Lord, you have the majority. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So you don't we don't put our trust in political figures, you know, leaders, political rulers, uh, because they're men and they're fallen. Just like we are. <laughs> and so they are untrustworthy. Now I, I do think we should be involved in politics. That's part of the Part of our role in the church, you know, the Holy Spirit in the church is a restrainer of evil. And, you know, a lot of that is through politics. And uh, so we, we should, I mean, there are some people who, some Christians who think you should not be involved in politics, which I think is crazy. You should be involved in politics because we want to promote the divine institutions, which are preservatives in our culture. And then, uh, so the Lord is much more reliable than humans, including human leaders. Verses 10 through 12, the psalmist, who we're not sure who it is, it's not, it's not named, was not free from conflict, but he was victorious in the Lord. It says, all nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me as yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. So you can, that's a word picture. You can see the bees buzzing around you. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can apply that to him, you know. Because it's, I mean, it's unending, and it's, it's just. So anyway, yeah, we pray for him. So then, down to verse eighteen. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Um, anybody feel that way? I kind of feel that way. It's It's been a long time since I have felt that way, but I, I have in the past. Um, mm -hmm. So verses 19 through 21, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. So this is a public worship. Again, public worship is appropriate. There was a little quote in the quarterly. It says, The Israelites' reverent approach to God should make Christians today think about how we approach public worship. 
Do we pause reverently at the start of a worship service to reflect on God's holiness? Do we ask him to cleanse us from sin and put us into a frame of mind to praise him and hear his instructions? I think that's a good thing to think about. Okay, anything else about that? Now this section is, uh, again, some prophetic stuff and some Jesus applied this to himself too. So verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So verses 22 and 23, the stone which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus applied this verse to himself when the religious leaders, you know, had rejected him, and they continued to reject him. I think this was in the during the Passion Week that he said this. Matthew 22, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it, because they were unbelieving. So they, the Jewish leaders would not be involved in the kingdom. It says, and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So Jesus uh, didn't mince words with these guys, really. So verse 24, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a good thing to say. Or sing. Or sing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very catchy tune. So, yeah, that, that's a good thing to remember. We can say that every day. So, verse 25, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. So, there's more to salvation than just being delivered from hell, isn't there? Hope so. What sort of... Yeah. What other things are related to salvation? Other than deliverance from hell. Deliverance from our flesh, right. I like how Brad Maston talks about sin. You know, he was here he, with our uh, last conference, and he says, why would you want to do that? It's like licking the inside of a toilet bowl. <laughs> <laughs> After you've been freed from it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, 
yeah, you know, because we, we, what we like to do is get as close as we can to sin without going over, right? It seems like. Um, but that's a good way to look at it. It's like licking out the inside of a toilet bowl. And why would you do, want to do that? Yeah, you know, salvation causes joy. Salvation causes peace. And what are they asking for here? Do send prosperity. Now, it doesn't always send prosperity. Salvation, you know, we, we know like, say, if you're in uh, Muslim countries, sometimes you lose your job. Or your life. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, many, many times doing, you know, worshiping the Lord, following the Lord will lead to prosperity as well. And, you know, it gives you significance and it gives you hope. I mean, there's every day. And so there's a lot that goes on with salvation. That's what we were made for, really, to have this fellowship this relationship with the God who made us. That's why we exist. So, verse 26 is what the Jews are required to say if Jesus is ever to come back. Which is interesting, isn't it? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus says. You won't see me until you say this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's not the Gentiles who say it. We can say it all to the cows come home. You won't respond to that. The Jews, as a nation, have to say that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he will show up. That's what we're waiting for. And that it takes the tribulation to bring him to that point. You know, those are, they talk about being stiff-decked people. You know, they are. So verse 27 talks about the, you know, they're under the Mosaic law, this almost, the Lord is God and he has given us light, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. So that's what we're here to do. So let us do those things. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, Lord, we do thank you for your loving kindness. We th thank you for the salvation that you provide. We pray that you would help us explore it thoroughly and help us to walk in you in our days so that we do experience it wholeheartedly. We do look for you to come in the rapture very shortly. In Jesus' name, amen.